I mentioned Mission Edmond at the beginning of our service this morning. Let me remind you that Mission Edmond is a part of our Connect initiative. Over the past three years, we have really tried as a congregation, and certainly as individuals and as families, to create space in our lives for God to work. And so these three missional movements, Go, Connect, Embrace, are about just that, about being very deliberate, very intentional about letting God use us, about making ourselves available for God to work through us, to advance his kingdom, to make him known in our world. And so go is just that, the answer to the Great Commission to go into the world and make disciples. And we support missionaries, and we send people on mission trips. Connect is what we did through Mission Edmund, and what we hopefully do every day of our lives as Christ followers. And that is with our neighbors, with our co-workers, with family, friends, total strangers around us every day, that we reflect the light of Christ, that we embody the gospel of Christ to our neighbors, to our friends. And then embrace has to do with with people coming our way, guests and visitors coming here. And do they feel welcome? Do they feel at home? Because we have a lot to do with that. Are we welcoming? Are we inviting? Are we uh, nice to people when they come? Do we meet them? Do we encourage them? And so these are things that we are constantly working on. I want to tell you about November the 15th. It's a very special day, and I hope that you will make plans to be in town, that you will be here for this very special day that we are calling Thanksgiving. A day of thanks, a day of giving. It is our last Commission Sunday of the year, and this is how we support our missionaries and send people on mission trips, by our sacrificial giving. And so I hope that you will come prepared to give that day sacrificially. But it's also a day for us to pause and to reflect on what God has done and continues to do through this congregation as we go and connect and embrace. We started this initiative three years ago as a three-year initiative. And it's not like after three years we're going to stop and just become passive or just relax. We're going to continue to do these things. But it is a great opportunity for us to pause and to say thank you to God for what he has done through all the efforts. Just think for a minute about the lives that have been changed, the lives that have been impacted here and in many other places in this world because of what God is doing through this congregation. So on that day, we want to pause and to thank God for that, to acknowledge what God is doing, and maybe even to look to the future and ask God to continue to work in us and through us. That evening, we're going to have an abbreviated service and then do something a little bit different. We're going to divide into smaller groups throughout our building and have a fellowship meal together. I hope that you will be here that night. We're going to have a fellowship meal together and spend time in smaller groups praying and thanking God for what he has done. We're also going to have some special projects for children. We're going to do uh, a lot of neat things with prayer and, and writing out some prayers. And, and I think it will be a wonderful day. I think it will be a blessing to this congregation. I think in many ways it could be a a marker point in our history as we, again, make ourselves available, as we create space for God to work in our lives. So again, November 15th, plan to be here. I'm glad you're here today, and I hope that you brought a Bible or a device with the Scriptures on it. I hope that you are spending time daily and weekly in God's Word. Open your Bible to Romans chapter 8. That will be our primary text this morning, Romans chapter 8. 
We are in a series called All In. We've talked about that this morning. What it means and what it looks like when we lay it all on the line for God. When we put it all on the table. When we don't hold anything back in our lives from God. For Him to shape and to mold more into the image of His Son. When we decide, like Jay was talking about just a few moments ago, when we decide that we are serious about following Jesus. That we're not just going to go through the motions, we're not just going to have a once a week religion, but that we are sold out, that we are all in when it comes to our discipleship, when it comes to following Jesus. And so this morning we're going to look at an issue, a topic, a subject that is certainly relevant for each and every one of us, but it's also a challenge for most of us. I can't believe it's been 20 years, 20 years when this movie premiered, a movie that actually, I think, made one word a cultural icon, made one word something that is quoted and quoted and quoted over and over again. The movie was Braveheart, and the word was freedom. The actual quote from the movie was something like, our enemy can take our lives, but they can never take away our freedom. And it wasn't so much what was said as how it was said. A blue-faced William Wallace, fighting for Scotland's independence, used this word, used this phrase as a battle cry to inspire his troops. It was a great declaration of man's need and desire for independence. It was something that all of us can relate to. We have this desire for freedom. In Jesus Christ, we have been set free. We are free from eternal separation from God. In fact, when we gather here like this morning we are doing, we celebrate the freedom we have. And when we leave here, we leave living lives of freedom in Christ. Look at how Romans 8 starts out the very first verse in that chapter therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death the sentence of death that you and I deserve because we are imperfect because we sin For his immediate audience, many of them, they would relate to because we can't keep the law perfectly, the law of Moses. The sentence of death that all of us deserve has been taken away, has been removed. We have freedom in Christ. No longer is our eternal consequence death or separation from God. And Jesus didn't just pluck us out of the way of the steaming train train coming our way named sin, he stood in our place. He put himself in the way to take the brunt of the destructive force of sin. That's what Isaiah wrote long before it ever happened. Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he, talking about Jesus, was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. 
you and I know that the world may throw all kinds of things at us. Our life may be filled with all kinds of injustice. We may experience sadness and sorrow and grief. We may encounter all kinds of challenges and hardships and difficulties. We may even lose our life. But know this. Don't leave here today without knowing, without believing that you have been set free from the eternal consequences of sin. And that should give you great joy and great peace and great hope. Your eternal salvation and anyone who is in Christ, their eternal salvation has been secured by what Jesus did at the cross and what God did at the tomb when he raised Jesus from the dead. But here's the problem. Here's the struggle. We often struggle and have difficulty living as free people. We read about our freedom in the New Testament. We hear other people talk about being free in Christ. That appeals to us. There is something inside of us that wants freedom. People will die for freedom. And yet we will struggle to live with freedom. And maybe it's because we have this selfish nature. Maybe it's because we get stuck in patterns and routines that please ourselves rather than please God. Maybe it's because we just get into a way of life that we don't even recognize is displeasing to God. And sometimes people we love try to confront us in a loving way, try to encourage us or help us, but we don't see it. We go on living our life, not embracing the freedom that we have in Christ. We choose, knowing that freedom is there sometimes, we choose to live in sin, to continue in sin. We choose to walk in darkness sometimes. Listen, if we're going to be all in, if we're going to lay it all on the line for God, that means that we are going to walk in the light, not walk in darkness. The passage that was just read a few moments ago by Aaron, that's what John writes about. There's a difference between walking in the light and walking in darkness. If we're going to be all in for God, then sin doesn't need to be any part of our life. Not that we're going to be perfect, But we must have a disdain for sin, a desire, a strong desire, empowered by the Spirit of God not to sin, not to walk in darkness, not to please the selfish nature, but to please God. But it's difficult, isn't it? Let's be honest. It's not always easy to avoid sin. It's not always easy to move around temptation, to get through temptation unscathed. It's difficult. And so look back at the previous chapter, Romans chapter 7. Notice what Paul says. He says, I don't understand what I do. Does that sound familiar? You ever feel that way? I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. 
For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. Paul has quite the tongue twister there, doesn't he? Maybe difficult to read, but boy, we can relate to it. Do those words sound familiar? Have you heard that conversation before? Maybe in your own mind, in your own heart? This passage has been looked at in a number of different ways. Some people say, yes, Paul is, is revealing his own personal struggles, his own personal war within that many of us can relate to. Others say, no, Paul is using this as a hypothetical situation, as a teaching moment. Because people can relate to what he's talking about, this, this inward struggle between wanting to do what is right, but often doing what is wrong. And other scholars say, really what Paul is doing here in the larger context is he's talking about the relationship between Israel and the law. And certainly, Paul talks about the law there. And their desire to do the law to earn righteousness, to show their righteousness by keeping the law. But guess what? They couldn't keep it perfectly. No matter how badly they wanted to, they couldn't keep it perfectly. No matter what level you look at what Paul is saying, I think the message is very clear. The shackles of sin are hard to shake. That's the message. The shackles of sin are hard to shake. And we can relate to that. Sometimes it's because we just can't let go. Sometimes we find great security in the bitterness that we hold within us or the thoughts that we have that don't honor God. Sometimes it's a habit, as I said earlier. It's a pattern. It's an addiction. Sometimes we blame our family. Well, this is what they made me into. Sometimes we blame God. I was made this way. Sometimes we blame everyone else. so often we keep those shackles of sin on us and we refuse to embrace the freedom that Christ has given us there's so many times when good people get stuck in bad ruts doing saying thinking acting in ways that don't honor God and then feeling guilty for those things and asking God to help them overcome those things and then going back into that same cycle again. God has an answer. Isn't that good news? God has an answer. Back in our text, Romans chapter 8, verse 14. Listen to what he says. Listen closely. For those who are led by the Spirit of God, who are they? Paul says they are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you will live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. Paul will go on to contrast two ways of living. Living to please the flesh and living to please the spirit. Living with the mind of the world and selfishness versus living with the mind of Christ. Walking in the darkness versus walking in the light, as John puts it. But notice where Paul goes. Paul goes to identity. He says, if you are in Christ, if you are led by the Spirit, then you're not a slave to sin. That's not who you are. 
In fact, as he's writing this, talking to these first century Christians and ultimately talking to us, he says there's really two kinds of people. Those who are apart from Christ live to please their fleshly nature, the worldly nature, the selfish nature. He says, but that's not who you are. You are in Christ. And so you live to please the Spirit. You're a child of God. You're not a slave to sin. You see, so often sin is not as much a behavior problem as it is an identity problem. We simply forget who we are. We start believing the world. We start buying into the world's values. The world says, this is the person you should be. This is how you should act. This is how to find success. This is the way or the path that you should take. And every time when the world says that, it is to please self. It is egocentric. We are at the center of that universe. But Paul says, that's not who you are. You're a child of God. So often we forget that. We buy into the lies of the world or those inner voices inside us that say, this is pleasurable, this is good, do this. And we believe we're someone else. Any discussion about changing what you do needs to start with a discussion about who you are and whose you are. If you want to overcome sin in your life, start living as a child of God. Start living the life that God created you to live. But again, we all know, even as children of God, that doesn't mean temptation suddenly vanishes, does it? We still live in a world of darkness. Even though we try to walk in the light, there is darkness all around us, sometimes even within us. So how do we do that? How do we live as a child of God? How do we accept and embrace that identity that impacts behavior? Just as Jay said, he said it so well. Belief impacts behavior. So if I believe that I'm a child of God, how do I let that impact or affect my behavior in a world that often tries to drag us down, drag us away, put up walls between us and God? We read passages like 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13, probably a verse you've read before, a verse that that you probably take great comfort in. Paul says that no temptation has overcome you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, He will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. We live in a world where there is constant temptation where sin and opportunities to sin is always right there in front of us. And let me just say, it's not wrong to be tempted. It's not a sin to be tempted. Even Jesus was tempted. You remember, when he was taken into the wilderness, he was fasting for 40 days, and Satan shows up. And Satan says, hey, prove that you're the Son of God. And Satan says, aren't you hungry? Change these rocks to bread. And Satan says, you want a shortcut to the kingdom? You want all of this? You don't want to go to the cross? Jesus was tempted. But sometimes we read that and we think, well, I haven't really had those temptations. I mean, you know, there are some times when I would like to turn a rock into a hamburger, but that's really not a temptation. 
Luke's account of Jesus' temptations in the wilderness give us a very, I think, insightful phrase. It says that the devil leaves for an opportune time. What that tells me is that Jesus didn't just face those three temptations, mark them off the list, and then he was free of temptation the rest of his life. I think Satan attacked him. Why wouldn't Satan attack him? If he could get Jesus to sin, then it would throw off the entire plan that God had to redeem the world. It's not wrong to be tempted. And we read in 1 Corinthians 10, 13 that God provides a way out so that we can endure it, so that we can stand up under it. And so often in the midst of temptation, we say, okay, God, here I am face to face confronted with this temptation. Where's the path out? Where's the exit strategy? It's like we're on the ship and the ship is sinking and we're looking everywhere for the lifeboat. And maybe that is how God does it sometimes. I think he does. I think that's good. But consider this. Maybe the way out that God provides sometimes through temptation comes long before we ever are face-to-face with temptation. Does that make sense? Maybe the way out comes long before we are face-to-face with temptation. It's the decisions we make not to get in those situations. It's the decisions we make not to pursue that relationship that we know won't be healthy. We know doesn't support discipleship. Maybe it's not going to those places or hanging out with those people where we know temptation resides. We know it's difficult to make good choices. Again, look back at our text, Romans 8, verse 5. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. That makes sense, doesn't it? Those who live to please self, flesh, what I want, that's where their mind is. That's where their focus is. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. As children of God, as we embrace that identity, I am a child of God. We realize that we think differently. We see things differently. We begin to develop, with the help of the Spirit, the mind of Christ. That's what Paul says. When you live according to the flesh, your focus, your mind, is set on those things. But when you live according to the Spirit, then your mind is set on spiritual things, godly things. You see, that takes place often before we find ourselves face-to-face with temptation. I begin to view relationships and opportunities and decisions and my resources. I begin to view all of those things and process those things with a mind that is seeking to please God. And if I'm truly doing that, then I will probably stay out of some of those situations and avoid some of those relationships and let the Spirit guide me around those so that the way out of temptation is to never get face-to-face and the fires of temptation. Here's the bottom line. Sin cannot control you if God is. Sin cannot control us if God is. Now, I know you're not supposed to end sentences with is, so excuse me, but I think it makes the point. Sin can't control us 
We can't be held captive by sin if we surrender our lives to God. Every part of our lives. Those dark places, those secret places, that hidden resentment and pain. Those decisions that we make, those patterns of life that we get into. When we surrender those fully to God, sin won't control us because God will be controlling us. Look back at verse 14. For those who are led by the Spirit, those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Embrace your identity as a child of God and see life through the eyes of Christ and have your mind set on things that please God and allow the Spirit to work in you Paul does something very similar in Galatians 5, contrasting life in the world or life pleasing the self versus life in the Spirit. And you remember at the end of that chapter, this is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those things are what the Spirit produces in our lives when we surrender all of our life to God. Sin cannot control you if God is. Back in 2001, the New York Times ran a story about a man named Robert Salzman. This man had a very difficult childhood, a very difficult life, and consequently, he spent much of his adult life in prison. But finally, he was released from prison. But once he was released from prison, because freedom was so foreign, he didn't really know how to embrace his freedom. He struggled to live in freedom. He bounced around from different places, never really held a job, really kind of struggled with life on the outside of the prison walls and fences. And one day, he was on the subway in New York City, and there was a movie writer and director there on the same subway, and he discovered Robert Salzman. You see, this movie director was looking for a character for an upcoming film. He wanted to find a tough guy who could play an ex-convict for one of his movies well who more qualified than Robert he was a tough guy he was an ex-con really didn't take much acting right surprisingly he actually got the part and it was a key role in the movie and so as filming the movie began and took place and happened Robert continued to struggle with his freedom and one day while they were filming on a Long Island penitentiary inside a cell Robert who was worn out from all the filming, from all the work, laid down on a cot inside a cell and fell asleep, just taking a short rest. Well, when he woke up, you can imagine what happened. He was confused. He wasn't thinking clearly. He was still kind of in his sleep, in his slumber. And he thought for a moment, in a dreadful, despairing moment, he thought that he was actually back in prison. And he began to weep. And it wasn't until he kind of woke up and opened his eyes and looked around and kind of assessed the situation that he realized that the freedom, the door to freedom was right there. It was open, that he wasn't in prison, that he was a free man, that all he had to do was walk through that door and there was a world of freedom awaiting him. You can see the analogy. So often we go through life 
falling asleep, forgetting who we are, forgetting where we are, forgetting whose we are. And maybe we wake up, we look around, and we see the prison that surrounds us. We see the shackles of sin that we're wearing. And I hope that that causes us great despair. But I got to remind you, I got to tell you, that all the while, the door to freedom is right there. Right there. All you have to do is walk through it. This week, as you live your life all in for God, don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Live as free people. And as Paul says, don't use your freedom to indulge your sinful nature. No. Think with the mind of Christ. See the world through the eyes of Christ. And let that belief, that faith, affect your behavior and live to honor Christ. This morning, we want to offer an invitation. If you're ready to make Jesus Lord of your life, to confess in front of these people who care about you and will celebrate that choice with you, to declare your faith that Jesus is the Son of God and be baptized into Christ, we want to give you that opportunity. We also want to give you an opportunity to pray for you. Maybe you see that, that you've been walking in darkness, that the life you've been living is a life that you've lived to please self. Maybe it's time to come home. Maybe it's time to make some changes. Maybe it's time to let the Spirit help you live a life that honors Him. If we can help you this morning, we invite you to come as we stand and sing.